one night I just sat down and said, all right, what do you want to do to do that? And the PCT popped in my brain. I'd already always, you know, uh, had thought about it and I just decided to do it. I really thought I was going out there to have a very solitary experience and to test my wherewithal with months in the woods. And I had basically the opposite of that. I made great friends and I never, ever spent a night camped by myself in the entire six months. Episode 347, Through Hiking the PCT with Philip Kramer. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hi friends, Kurt here. Thanks again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I have Philip Kramer for you today, and I'm, it's going to be a lot of fun. Philip wrote a book recently, Hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, Northern California. And so, as you might guess, we're going to be talking about the PCT today and about section hiking as well as through hiking. And we love these hiking shows. They're always fantastic, and everybody has their own unique perspective. So, Philip, welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Philip, you grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I did, yep. Life, lifelong resident. And uh, you are now living on one of the San Juan Islands. I am. I chose uh, Orcas Island because it has the most hiking. And if you're going to be stuck on an island, I need some hiking. <laughs> well, the San Juans are beautiful. I mentioned before I hit record that we went sailing in the San Juans. It was, I can almost name it to the day. And the reason is because my wife was pregnant with my 14-year-old. So... No, I'm sorry, 16-year-old, not my 14, my 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I had the wrong kid there, so it's been 16 years. But it is gorgeous. Describe for our listeners, just so they know what we're talking about, what the San Juan Islands are about. Yeah, I mean, there's there are like 600 or 700 islands, and obviously there's just a few that are big. There's tons of small ones. Um, a lot of them actually are completely state parks. And it's it's just kind of a web of inland sea. The Salish Sea surrounds us. Lots of uh, conifers and a lot of rock. They actually call Orcas Island the rock. Um, it's, uh, it's less rain than a lot of places in western Washington. And it's kind of just a gorgeous little locale that you can explore your entire life and find little pockets around every corner. Mm, it sounds wonderful. You know, I, I love the Pacific Northwest and the San Juans especially. So beautiful up there. It's just every time that we've visited, we see so many new things, not to mention the wildlife, you know, whales and yep. you know, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. And you're living in an amazing place on the island like that. So what did you have to do to uh, be able to establish a life out on the island? essentially have work that was uh, not dependent on me being in the thick of the city. Um, and both my wife and I have that, and we're, we're pretty fortunate to do that. We've been thinking about moving out here for a very long time, so it took us uh, it took some years of prep. And we have a, a two-and-a-half-year-old, our daughter Faye, and um, she was actually kind of the impetus to make to actually make it happen because we really wanted to have a childhood experience out of the city for her. Mm, how special. That's that's yeah. awesome. You know, we chose the same thing. We raised our family in the mountains, and mm -hmm. uh, we still had to go into the city, however, but it was wonderful to be able to raise the kids close to nature. You know, nature yeah. is their home. They feel very comfortable there, and that was our, our goal, and it worked out. So good for you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. We're on the right path then, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think you so. You never know as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a lot of adventure sports that that you love and we're going to be talking about hiking today but i want to touch on some of these others you said that you are a, a traveler you love surfing skiing and snowboarding uh playing in the snow in the backcountry in a variety of ways sea kayaking and that you're headed to morocco coming up soon to go surfing right yeah i am Wow. So uh, what is that like? Have you been there before? I have been to Morocco before. Um, it was, it was a long time ago and it was for a, uh, it was for work. It was a photography trip, um, which are always very different than a play trip. Um, and this trip is honestly, I'm, I'm meeting up with my best friend who he lives in Maine 
now and we don't get to see each other that often. So we're just taking off for a little over a week and we're just going to surf every day until we can't move our arms anymore, I think. Wow. Okay, I got to throw this out there because I know some of our listeners are going, are you kidding me? This guy lives on an <laughs> island in the San Juans. He's going to Morocco to surf. He's a photographer. He has location-independent work. How do you get to that? How does that happen in a life? Um, you know, it was something that I set my targets on pretty young. I was still in high school, and I, you know, when everyone started talking about what you're going to study in college and what college you're going to go to, um, I just, I, I just kind of felt that uh, there was, it was a little bit different of a path that I wanted and it was, it, uh, it didn't involve a, a, a job as I knew jobs to look like through my own parents' experience. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, travel photographer popped in my mind. And I think that was just a product of, Hey, this will get me to cool places all around the world. It'll get me out of this little town that I'm in and, uh, and I make a living doing it. Um, hopefully. And there have definitely been hiccups along the way with that making a living part. Uh, the photography world has, has changed a lot in the 15 years that I've been doing it. And, um, you know, I wish, I wish it was, it was as easy as my first five years, but it's, it's getting harder as more and more people are able to make amazing photos with their phones or, you know, a little point and shoot or whatever. And, um, so it's been a, it's been an interesting experience and the writing part is brand new to me, but that allows me to branch out and, uh, just have a, a wider skill set. Oh, there you go. What, how do you think Instagram has impacted the, the world of photography? Yeah. I mean, it's, I love Instagram. I'm on there. Um, it, it, uh, essentially, my desire to photograph also came from, I just wanted to share with the people that I cared about what I was seeing and experiencing and Instagram is perfect for that. So I still, I still use it heavily in that way. I also use it now for research so I can, if I'm looking to go wherever to photograph, say I wanted to photograph in Morocco or go surfing, I can search and have visual references for places that I think look really interesting or promising. Um, and you know, it's, it's just amazing how much is at your fingertips now. And at the same time, uh, the, the photography world is oversaturated. There's, there's an insane number of great images, um, all around the world. Yeah, no doubt. You know, there was a day when, you know, people were going to have to buy a camera that was somewhat complex. They're going to have to take mm -hmm. classes to learn how to use it. They had to develop film. They might even learn how to yep. develop film. And it was kind of an expensive hobby that uh, required a lot of patience, you know, because you would take a shot and it might be weeks later before you ever got to see what it looked like. Yep, absolutely. And you might have really messed up and then you just got nothing. <laughs> um, I started out on film and that was the first several years of my career were all lugging rolls of film around and uh, fighting with the airport staff to not send them through the x-rays in little tiny countries <laughs> that didn't really care what I wanted and uh, trying to get them home and developed and hoping that I had done everything right in those moments. Um, and, uh, you know, most expenses around traveling have fallen. It's, you know, it's much more affordable to fly across the world at this point. And there's a ton of tools that make finding places to stay and uh, finding like-minded individual individuals to team up with, it's all it's all gotten remarkably easier. Mm. You know, I was laughing when you talked about trying to convince people not to X-ray your film. I had that experience in Heathrow, and mm -hmm. we were flying to Kenya, and uh, I had a lead pouch that I'd put my film in. Yeah, I, I remember up, those. <laughs> I walked up to the to the X-ray machine and I said, "This won't show on your X-ray." So just look in it, put it on the mm -hmm. belt, sir. I said, just take it and look at, is it, you know, there's no sense in it going through. It won't show on your x-ray, put it on the belt, sir. So I set it on the belt. I went through the <laughs> x-ray and then they stopped me on the other side and said, we can't see what's in that, sir. We're going to have to search your luggage. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, I tried to tell you. <laughs> nice. Yes. And I yep. almost missed my flight to Kenya. It was very, very close. But yeah. anyway, it just, 
those were different days huh, when it came to photography. But now with, with digital photography, everybody has a camera on their phone and everybody mm-hmm. has a phone on their person. So the, the world has just, oh boy, orders of magnitude more pictures out there. Yes. So does that make it harder for you to make money as a photographer? Um, absolutely, yeah. My the the direction that I took when I started was actually uh, licensing my images through stock agencies, and that has gotten. You can still do it, and there's you know it's a there's a vibrant business of that out there. But your your price per image has has gone way way down, um, and so I think if you're you know there's there's still a career there for people that can throw the hours at it but it's a, it's a very different um it's just a very different ball game than when I started right and there's a lot of competition there is a ton of competition which i don't think is a bad thing but it it is certainly noticeable i think that photography just goes hand in hand with adventure sports it doesn't matter what the sport is um photography is the way that we can share it with others like you said you know, and I know when I go on a hike, I want to share it with my family and I, it, you just reach for the camera. It's what you do. So mm-hmm. when you go hiking, how much camera gear are you carrying and are you there to take pictures or are you there to hike? Yeah, it really depends on, on what I'm doing. Um, I ha- I actually have, have times that I intentionally head out and I do not take a camera and those are, you know, sort of just, a I'm going for the experience. It's just me. Um, and I don't, I don't want to turn on that part of my brain that is looking every direction and around my shoulder constantly trying to get that, that right image. Um, and then other times, of course I have, you know, just my phone or I just have a little fun point and shoot, um, and get what I get, but I'm not too serious. And then there's times where, uh, you know, when I've been working on this book, obviously I'm, I'm looking to to make quality images to share with everyone. And so I'm lugging, you know, usually I try to keep it around five pounds, which isn't too bad considering how much I have carried in my past. Um, but for backpacking, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna carry 20 pounds of camera kit along with me. So I, I keep it pretty minimal and try to get by with a little less than I would if I was working out of a car or a kayak or whatever. Right. So when you're headed out to do your best photography, are you using just a standard digital SLR or do you have a different format? Nope. Just a standard 35 millimeter full frame DSLR. And, you know, I've never, uh, I've never been too attached to any particular brand. I kind of, I flip around a little bit. Um, and I don't keep a a big collection of lenses, which kind of frees me up to switch to whatever camera seems like it's going to fit my needs. Right on. So let's talk about hiking, but I'd like for just a minute to hang on to the photography subject while we do. When people Mm -hmm. go hiking, I keep telling people this and until they've experienced it, you know, it's hard to to know what I'm talking about completely because you almost have to live it. But you will find a place that's beautiful, but then you'll pitch a tent. You'll wake up the next morning and the lighting is just perfect. And there's a little mist, you know, going through the trees and, yep. and it's suddenly you're like, oh, and you, you want to capture it and you grab your camera, you take a bunch of shots. And then they, when you look at them later, they really don't look that great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. So yep. what's the trick? How is it uh, that, you know, you go to these magical places, you have these amazing experiences. How do you get it captured? on film or as probably these days we'd just say as a digital image. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I continue to repeat that experience. You know, there are times that I absolutely get an image that I really feel captures what I was seeing. And there are, there are probably more times where I look at it and I go, Oh man, that doesn't even come close to, to the experience I had there. Um, and I would say that that it, it is getting easier. Uh, digital cameras certainly have a a greater ability to capture. I mean, we're just getting technical here, but they have a a much wider range versus you know slide film, where which is what I started with. And so there's a lot more leeway with what you can do to convey that experience visually onto the viewer. Um, 
but a lot of that is sitting in front of the computer trying to basically take a raw file that its only mission was to capture as much information as possible and you're trying to pull out the reality of what you want to present to your viewer in it um and I didn't know that going in, and I don't love sitting in front of computers. So mm. it's uh, sometimes it's a little bit like pulling teeth, but when it does work, it's it's very very worth it. You know, it's kind of fun because before digital photography, people would try to do the same thing you're talking about by developing their own film. You know, developing mm-hmm. the images, and they had tricks that they could use. You know, shadowing parts of the images they shoot shoot it onto the paper and this and that and the other to try to draw out what they want to emphasize. Now you right. do it all electronically. Yep, yep. And sometimes on a touch screen. Mm. It's uh, you know very futuristic. Wow. Well, let's <laughs> talk about hiking, <laughs> and we we may uh, come back into photography just a little bit because I know that people that are out there hiking they also love to take pictures. So it'd be cool if you could give us some tips, you know, just some ideas, but why do you hike? What's the point? You know, I, I, uh, I think at the very base of that question, I hike, um, just to experience whatever may occur. Um, it's, it's, uh, I guess at the heart of those kind of adventures, there's, there's a big curiosity. I want to know what, you know, the other side of that mountain looks like, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in what's going to happen to me in that process, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a storm system moving in and having just a wild sleepless night, who knows, or whether it's the, uh, that sunrise is going to be one of those sunrises that you just don't ever forget because it was, you know, mind blowing. Um, maybe it's an encounter with wildlife, but just that, sort of unplanned, unknowable um, experience of the natural world. Mm. Isn't that what adventure is all about? Absolutely, for me, yep. Yeah. Do you have the same problem I do that I can't hardly stop when I'm out because I always want to see what's around the next curve or over the next (laughs) hill? I do. Oh, man. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Through hiking is great for that because, you know, it's in your best interest to keep going if you want to get several thousand miles but, um, yeah, it, it's a bit of a problem at times. It's hard for me to just sit down and take in one viewpoint and be satisfied there. I just want to, I want to know what's around the next bend. You know, I think some people hike for the athletic side of the sport. Mm-hmm. They like to watch the miles tick by and they like to see how quickly they can do it and how far they can go and how, you know, and for them, hiking has a lot to do with, uh, the, the energy it takes to, to get there. And other people, yeah. it's more like, no, I'm here for the experience. I'm here just to mm-hmm. enjoy what I'm seeing and feeling and smelling and tasting. And and uh, it, it's not about being super athletic. It's about shuffling through the woods and, and having experiences. Where would you put yourself on that continuum? I'm definitely uh, pretty far down on the uh, experience level and willing to uh, sacrifice the, the physical feats for... Um, you know, a photograph or literally just finding a spot I like and deciding, you know what, I'm going to spend the day exploring this area. Um, I have, I have pushed myself physically and there are times where, where that is what I'm craving and I just want to see what, what am I capable of? Um, but most of that is, is honestly just driven by the people who are really interested in the speed feats and, somebody in X number of mountains is like, wow, I can see what they can do. Um, you know, are they that different than me or, or can I actually do some of that too? But my, my, my de facto stance is, uh, I'm, I'm walking pretty slow and I'm looking around a lot. Mm, yeah. I, I think that's where I am too. I'm really there for the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it feels kind of invigorating to pick up the pace and try to cover some quick miles, but really for me, it's always, I, when I go hiking, it's destination hiking 90% of the time. I'm going to be somewhere I want to see, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's official. Winter has arrived and Bent Gate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. 
They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica, Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. Let's make a distinction there. I just mentioned destination hiking. There's section hiking and there's through mm-hmm. hiking. So for people that are new to the sport, what are those things? Yeah. So, I mean, a, a destination hike could be, all these things could be any any sort of range of mileage or whatever, but a destination hike is obviously, you know, you you say, hey, there's this lake on the map and I've read this little article that says there's a great campsite. We're going to go there. And you hike your five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever miles out there, and that's your spot, and uh, set up camp and stay for as long as you've got. And then you have um, section hiking, which is kind of a, uh, I guess it's a sibling of through hiking, where you have these long-distance trails, and they can obviously be broken up into whatever length of uh, adventure you're willing to take. And... um, you maybe only have the ability to take a weekend at a time. And so you're going out and you're covering however many miles you're comfortable doing in that, that weekend, um, planning these little short trips, uh, kind of related to destination hiking. You probably have an idea where you're starting and where you're ending. Um, but there's generally a longer distance covered and the goal is kind of to piece together over the course of months or years or a lifetime, um, covering an entire trail. And then through hiking is, all right, I want to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, and I'm going to do all of it in one hiking season. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a whole whole other beast from those other two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, when we're talking about these long trails, uh, uh, we've talked about these a lot on the show, but for new listeners, we're talking about things like the uh, Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, maybe the Continental Divide Trail. And there are yeah. varying distances, but two to 3,000 miles is what we're talking about. Thousands of miles. And right. uh, so through hiking is trying to conquer the whole thing often in one trip. Exactly. And that's, yep. that's mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. And uh, for me, it was mind-blowing even as I was doing it. And even after I completed it, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, it's the culmination of a lot of perseverance and uh it it's it's a pretty monumental experience i i absolutely encourage anyone who's interested to go give it a whirl um and it is not for everyone at the same time so you through hiked the pacific crest trail which we call the pct right yes north to south or south to north i did south to north so south to north which is standard uh in Mm -hmm. 2013 Mm -hmm. and Give us a couple of takeaways from that. What when, um, when you look back on it now, what's it about mm-hmm. for you? Oh boy! Well, you know, I think I'm still unpacking that. Honestly, um, it really was driven just by I had uh, I had been working a lot, and I wanted a break, and I wanted to sort of a chance to clear my head and maybe to take myself in a new direction, and. Um, one night I just sat down and said, all right, what do you want to do to do that? And the PCT popped in my brain. I'd already always, you know, uh, had thought about it and I just decided to do it. Um, I really thought I was going out there to have a, a very solitary experience and to test my, my wherewithal with months in the woods. Um, and I had basically the opposite of that. I made great friends (laughs) and I never, ever spent a night camped by myself really the entire six months yep wow yep um which was actually that was a hard adjustment at first i i almost um 
I almost quit about a couple weeks in. I thought, you know, this is not what I signed up for. There's people everywhere. Um, I, you know, I could go hike somewhere else and be by myself, but I decided to keep going and, and, uh, and just kind of accepted that it was going to be different than I thought. Isn't it always? <laughs> Isn't that it what adventure is? is? <laughs> it's always <laughs> good life lesson. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, yep. you roll with the punches and then you have a life experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, it's amazing that you've done it, you know, to be able to put that notch in your gun, so to speak. And yeah. I, I think that's, it, it's awesome. Anybody that's done a through hike, it's life changing. Can you give us any hints about how maybe it impacted your life? Yeah. Um, you know, some of them, uh, some of, some of these little ways are, is just a lot of self-awareness about different things. Um, you know, some of it's honestly kind of embarrassing because I, I, I went out there as, you know, to be the mountain man. And, uh, I realized through that, you know, that I actually really do enjoy having a soft bed and heat and a cappuccino <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> right. So that's not, that's not a very glamorous or adventurous thing to say, but, um, but there's some truth to that. And it also, uh, it was a very, uh, reaffirming thing that I, that I could sort of decide that this thing had value. And regardless of how I felt day in, day out, I was going to keep working towards that one goal, which, um, you know, hiking from Canada to Mexico is not, uh, it's not a standard goal, I don't think, and uh, it, it's a very personal thing, and so that was um, it gave me a lot of uh, pride, I guess, to to stick to it because there, uh, in my experience, anything that you're doing, no matter how much you love it, if you're doing it day in day out, you're going to have days where you get a little bit bored with it, and um, you know the number of the number of miles that I bet I didn't see all the beauty around me because I was just bored and tired. Right. Um, that's just a reality of, of through hiking for me. And in those times, you know, you just, you look around and you go, what am I doing? And then you remind yourself that, you know, this is, this is actually important and I don't have to do this, but if I want to keep doing it, I should. And so I just continued and continued and ended up in Canada. Nice. Uh, and that applies, I think, to all sorts of different things in life. But, uh, um, I had some big changes waiting for me at home. Um, when I came back, I ended up reintroducing to m myself to a, a friend of mine who I'm now married to. And uh, we have a two and a half year old daughter who was very much a, a wonderful surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. And I, I often chuckle to myself at how, um, how much I draw from my, my through hiking experience when I'm, you know, a little bit sleepless in the middle of the night, trying to get someone to go back to sleep and, uh, just tired as all can be. And knowing that I've got to get up and I got to work some more tomorrow and just keeping that, uh, perspective of, of what's important in life at the forefront. I love what you just did there. <laughs> I seriously, this, I have been saying this now for years on the show, when we go out and we have an adventure, we learn things about ourselves. And when we come back to the everyday life, it's the lessons we learned having the adventure that we find most applicable sometimes that help us through the everyday struggles. Absolutely, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, it, it's one reason to do it. In my mind, it's, yep. it's one of a thousand, but it's one reason to do it. It's what we learn about ourselves and the skills that we gain that you know we can apply to the rest of life. So uh, yeah. do you feel like it was kind of a rite of passage for you? Were you the same guy when you finished that you were when you started? Um, no, I think, I think it did change me. I, I guess I kind, of, uh, I kind of view it as, as a, a rite of passage into, I guess, another, another stage of adulthood. Um, and, uh, you know, I, was, I, was, I think I was 32 when I did the hike, which by through hiker standards, that's like, that's a little older. Um, and and I I often wonder about that, and I love asking other through hikers, you know, what was this like for you? Because you know I hiked with um, an 18 year old, and I hiked with you know a 65 year old through those time periods, and everyone had this remarkable transformative experience, and I don't think any of them would say that at the end they were the same person. Um, and I love how that can apply to people throughout 
you know, different experiences of their own life. Oh, yeah. You know, something that I hear people talking about when it comes to backpacking in general, doesn't have to be through hiking, mm-hmm. but is uh, staying out there long enough that you kind of, you, you shift into the rhythm of nature. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm talking about? Did Absolutely, that happen yeah. for you? And how is it different than life off the trail? Yeah, it uh, definitely happened. You know, my, I, back to our, our performance question, you know, the people who go out and hike the PCT in one season and do it as a physical feat, they're finishing in, you know, under two months now. And I took six months. So I spent a long time out there. Um, and that was purposeful. Um, and I definitely, you know, I can look through photos, um, of myself on this trip and they're unlike any photos that I've seen of me in my life. I am incredibly dirty and (laughs) I don't look like I care at all. (laughs) Um, and so just on the, on the physical level there, there is just this, uh, I want to say like an animalistic sort of uh, being in me that that comes out more um, with that time and all those sort of uh, societal things that exist for us humans here kind of you just shed them slowly over time. And naturally, the longer you're out, the the more you shed and the less uh, hold those have on your routines and what you're caring about. Hmm. Did you find it difficult when you re-entered regular society? Was there a bit of a culture shock and adjustment to get back into the the normal routines? There was, yeah. Um, I have a pretty pretty supportive network of friends and family, so I I had a lot going for me in that front. But you know, I finished and came right back to Seattle, um, and that was that was pretty shocking. It was. Uh, I remember, I can still remember the first thing that was really hard for me to get used to was just the noise, um, the ambient, yeah, the ambient noise of, of a city and all the hustle and bustle was, uh, I, I could, I could feel my, my nerves, you know, just chafing with all that. I was, I was anxious, um, experiencing all that for, for quite a while. And actually I've noticed that, you know, we just, we just moved up here to the Island from Seattle and when I go back to the city, it still takes a day or two for, you know, the sounds of airplanes overhead to normalize. Um, so that was a big one. And then just culturally, um, not everyone appreciates a through hiker, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> so you roll back into a city and you go to some social function and people ask what you've been doing and you've got this huge mangy beard and they see your suntan face and, and you tell him you just walked from Mexico to Canada. There's a lot of people that don't know how to relate to that or, or don't want to. Um, and so there is a feeling of a little bit of misunderstanding and being an outsider that comes with that too. Hmm. Well, well, I tell you what, it's an amazing experience just to get out and backpack and through hiking that takes a lot of planning and commitment. People usually have to quit their job to do a through hike, yep. you know, that's a, yep. that's a life yeah, life planning, life altering sort of an event. But, you know, I'm looking at your cover of your book here and the subtitle mm-hmm. says section hiking. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and section hiking is fun, especially for people that have goals. It's like, yeah, I do want to walk the whole trail, but I can't do it all at once. Maybe I want to do it mm-hmm. in pieces. I'm not sure the experience is quite the same, but how would you contrast the experience of section hiking versus through hiking? Yeah. Um, it's definitely not the same and, you know, I, I wouldn't put one above the other. Um, but I would say that the, what I, what I really came to love about section hiking was, um, you know, I picked and choose where to go, um, based on what was happening in that place. So instead of hiking, uh, there's a stretch of trail that goes over the, this place called the Hat Creek Rim in Northern California. And it's a 30-mile dry stretch. The only water you can get is down this very, very steep, no-fun trail um, to a spring that may or may not be dry. Mm. And most through hikers will cross through that July, maybe August. And it is 
you know, it's not the most pleasant. It's hot and you're carrying a massive amount of water. Um, so for the book, I went down since I had already had the pleasure of going through when it's dry and dusty. I went down in, I believe I went in May. Um, and instead of being brown and brittle, it was just green with an amazing display of wildflowers. It's an area that has been burned. And so as things are coming back, there's just intense wildflower growth and it was stunning and there was water. Um, so that's a huge, huge advantage of section hiking, just being able to sort of pick and choose your seasons, when and where to go. Um, if you don't like crowds, you can usually schedule yourself a time in spring or fall or, uh, you know, sometimes pretty late into, uh, November if you're, if you're lucky in Northern California with the snow and you're going to have the place to yourself. Um, there's also significantly less pressure to keep moving. So if you see, you know, a side trail and it looks like it climbs up a peak that might have an amazing view of all your surroundings, or it goes down to a lake that looks like it'd be a pretty great place to swim, you can just tear off and head down there. And, uh, you can spend the night if you want. You don't have to stick to your, I got to do my 20, 30 miles today. Um, and that's something about through hiking. I'd like to point (laughs) out to finish a long trail like that in a season, you have to, Mm -hmm. you have to do the miles. You do. Yep. A lot of pressure to get there. Otherwise there is. Yep. And that get that pressure gets old. Yep. Wow. So Um, section hiking is more forgiving in that way then. It is. Yep. And then on the other side, you know, you, you don't get that, um, that amount of time to be out there when you're through hiking, you have a lot of time and there's a, there's a, a lot of freedom to be felt in that when you start out and you go, I have months out here. Um, that does put you in a, in a different mindset and allows you to kind of shed your, your home routines and, and responsibilities in a very different way than going out for a weekend or a week or even two weeks when you're section hiking. You know, we might be smack dab in the middle of winter these days, but spring is really just right around the corner. Make sure you've got one of our lightweight camp stoves ready to go in your pack for when the weather starts turning warmer. Both the 180 stove and the 180 flame are designed to burn the abundant wood fuels you find on the ground instead of requiring you to haul in heavy, messy camp fuels. Take a minute to head on over to our site at www.180tack.com to check out these American-made stoves that are built to last. You'll be helping us, and you'll be helping the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. I think section hiking is something that everybody should do. It's it's achievable. Yes. Everyone can. When it comes to uh, through hiking, it'd be great if everyone had the chance, but not everybody can. You know, yep. it's just tough. Yep, uh, it is. Section hiking is doable, and that's one of the, the best things about it. So let's talk about your book a little bit, Philip. Um, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in Northern California. Now, you said this was part of a four-book series, and this yep. book was written by you. The other three are written by other hikers, but let's dive into your section and uh, describe for us what it's about. Yeah, so my section, um, I pick up where the Southern California author leaves off in Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite National Park, and um, the trail sort of cruises up through the northern end of the High Sierra and touches around Lake Tahoe area, and then goes through lots of fairly unknown unvisited places in uh kind of the central part of northern california um lots of good stuff there and also lots of you know places where you're walking through clear cuts and on logging roads uh Mm. it's a huge mix and then you cut over across i-5 up by mount shasta and you get to spend a a lovely several hundred miles in the klamath range um, which is one of my my favorites. And then my book, uh, ends at the Oregon, California border. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good chunk of distance And Northern California is beautiful. I think you, uh, you got a great part of the trail. I did. Yes. I got lucky. Wow. Yep. So and I covered, I think I covered just over 740 miles of trail. 740 miles. So you went back and hiked yep. this trail again for the book. I did. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, when I through hiked, I was on a mission and I certainly wasn't taking notes and keeping track of campsites and water sources. And I wasn't photographing for a book. I was just doing my own thing. And so for the book, I went back down and I rehiked, uh, every chunk of Northern California. And sometimes I went back two or three times, um, to a few areas where I got hit with bad weather and wasn't able to get much in the way of photos and would go back and do a, a specific photo trip to cover it. Mm. So is the book, um, just for our listeners so they know what it is, is it a how-to guide? Is it more experiential, more like a journal? Is it a photography book? What, what can they expect? It's very much a how-to guide. It's, um, you know, it's going to, there's lengthy trail description that's going to lead you through everything from the natural history of what you're seeing to, you know, uh, which way to head at a junction, whether it's marked or unmarked. Um, it calls out sort of the, the best, um, and more established campsites, um, gives you a lot of information about side trips that I decided were worth including. Um, and it basically lays out all of your resupply options. So nearby towns, trailhead access points, um, it's very much a, everything you need to know to plan a successful section hike on the PCT. And then as a bonus, you get to look at all these beautiful photos of the areas. So it's, uh, it kind of throws in some inspiration in that way. Um, and it includes maps and elevation profiles. It's, uh, it's a pretty comprehensive resource. Right on. And what's cool about this, I mean, there are, there are books that talk about doing the whole trail, but they're not going to have the detail that this has, because this is a full book focused on just a quarter of the trail. So you can really dive in and get a lot more information. Yep. There. Yeah, that's you cool. You can, yeah. Um, yep, and we break, you know, 740 miles of trail. That's, uh, if, you, if you throw that number at someone who's thinking about section hiking, that's pretty overwhelming. And so the book is broken down into 11 sections. And then those sections are broken even further down into legs. And depending on uh, basically trailhead access and road access, sometimes you could, you know, you can build a, a day hike out of the information that's in the book. Um, but you can also do a one-nighter, a two-nighter, a three-nighter up to, you know, if you want to do the, all 700 miles in one go, then this has everything you need for that too. You know, I have to give you a little anecdote. I interviewed Jerry Roach a few years back mm -hmm. who wrote the the book on the Colorado 14ers back in the day. And it was a okay. long time ago when he wrote it, before GPS. And <laughs> he measured the distance by counting his steps. Wow. <laughs> and I was just thinking, yeah. well, how that would sure change a hike. 10,332, <laughs> 10,333. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I think, I, I don't know, that could have driven me insane to have I don't to think do that. I could I do know. it. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. So I assume yep. you had the benefit of GPS to make I all did. this work. Yep. I did, and I took advantage of it. You know, it's, um, I had actually never used a GPS before this book. I, I was always just kind of a paper maps and compass kind of a person. Um, and occasionally, uh, you know, people who would come with me on trips would have a GPS and I would sort of look at it, but never really pay much attention. And, uh, so I, I finally went out and got one and taught myself how to use it. And, uh, it definitely made my life easier for this project. Yeah, no doubt. But it also means <laughs> that your book is going to be pretty accurate. <laughs> it, yep, it should. Yep. There's, uh, it you know you, you look at the maps and that is the path that I walked and it it successfully got me from point A to point B so it should work for you too. I want to go back to what you mentioned about the little side hikes, uh, mm -hmm. little side legs that you included in the book. So the call hiccuped just when you said that, but that caught my ear anyway. I wanted everyone to know that the book is not just about getting through the trail. And exactly. Tell us about some of those. That that kind of piques my interest. Yeah, those are some of my favorite parts, honestly. Um, and I don't know whether that's just because I didn't have the the luxury of exploring those when I did my through hike, but I was really interested in, you know, what is within a couple miles of the PCT that is, you know, shouldn't be overlooked. You're already out there to get back out here is going to require a huge effort. So what do we have around us? Um, and through that, you know, I found these 
great campsites at little lakes that are anywhere from a half mile to two miles off the PCT. Um, typically when you venture off the PCT, you're, you're usually leaving some crowds behind. So you're getting a little bit of quiet for yourself. Um, there are some that are just climbing nearby peaks and, you know, in a lot of areas of Northern California, there are some pretty spectacular vistas, um, up in the Klamath range, you just have some amazing views over towards the coast, but then also back to Mount Shasta. And, you know, the PCT has, has great views of Mount Shasta, but there's a couple places where you can, you know, spend an afternoon climbing a peak and catch sunset up there. And it's, you're just going to remember that. Um, and so I tried to, I tried to add in all those where I could. Hmm. You know what? I, while you were describing that, I scrolled down on your website and I'm looking at the photographs that you have mm-hmm. there and and I can see why you would go off the trail a couple of miles to get to some of this stuff. Amazing. So beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's the uh that's the goal of those photographs to say, see, I'm not crazy. You really do actually want to put in the extra effort and climb up that other 2000 vertical feet cuz this is the view you're going to get. Yeah. Wow, this is cool. So people are, are sitting there saying, yeah, and where is that website? What is that? So it's philipkramer.com, and that's yep. Philip with one L and Kramer with a K. So That's it. philipkramer.com, um, and you can see uh, information about the book there. You can see the photographs. What else is on the website that people could uh, could take advantage of? Well, there's a there's there's a collection of my other photographs from my years of travel. So you can look at um, you know Pacific Northwest landscapes, and you can also look at portraits in India or uh, pictures of the Saharan Desert and all over the world. Um, and then I I hope to be adding more PCT related things as we go. But for now, it's just kind of a, a photo heady heavy uh, preview of the book and. Some of the photos are are printed in the book, and some of them are things that didn't make the cut, and they're still pretty nice to look at. Right on. And if you don't have Wonderlust already, maybe you need some help to get it. You should. You need to have Wonderlust in your life. I'm convinced it's a necessary part of of living this life. Go to philipkramer.com and start looking at some of these photographs. And if that yeah, doesn't do I it, they help. I don't know what will. <laughs> I hope they help. It. I agree. It's a good thing to have in your life. Yeah, definitely. So you have had a lot of travel in your life, and I'd mm-hmm. like your perspective on that. How has travel impacted you? Yeah, travel. I mean, first and foremost, I, I grew up in, you know, I grew up about three miles outside of a town of 2,000 people. Um and it was uh, it was a great place to grow up, and it was a very small community. And travel just sort of exploded my idea of the world, and and laid out you know just a huge uh, array of diversity in everything from people to wildlife to you know plant species. It's um it's a pretty pretty amazing place we live, and um, if anything. Uh, you know, I have, I have been a lot of places, but if anything, that has just only convinced me that, um, there are so many more to go. Uh, um, so that's been the biggest thing, just a, a very, a broadening of my perspective, I think. Mm. When you travel, are you one of these people who wants to just kind of see the landscape, the people, the culture? Are you the kind of guy that has to roll up your sleeves and get dirt under your fingernails? You know what I mean? Yeah, um you know I've I've always found that uh it, similar to my hikes it it's kind of what I'm intending to do and um if I'm traveling for work and I I've got to get you know x number of quality photos from some place I'm pretty focused on that. It's hard for me to relax and just kind of let uh the culture or the place uh you know, take hold of me. I'm, I'm really driven to get what I came for in terms of, of how I make my living. Um, but if I, you know, this, this upcoming trip to Morocco is, is not a work trip at all. And so that is, I'm just going to roll with whatever comes my way. And, you know, the intention is we're going to surf, but 
uh, I'm sure we're going to meet some interesting people here and there, and they're going to offer us up some other experiences that we can't imagine at this point in time. And uh, so I will, I'll roll up my sleeves and go after whatever they are suggesting. I've heard some statistics, and I should look it up so I know what they really are, but it's something along the lines of 20% of Americans have a passport, and of people that have passports, it's some tiny little percentage that's ever used it to get out of the country. Americans are not well-traveled, and people around the world have even mentioned that to me in various interviews. Yeah, well, Americans don't have a reputation for actually seeing what's out there. Um, Uh I think that travel has a lot of value. But how does it shape perspective and give you a, a different appreciation, perhaps, for the rest of the world than what you might get if you didn't go? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, I think just, you know, the thing that instantly came to mind when you said that is just seeing how people live differently um, all around the world is, it's just been sort of very opening for me. Um in understanding how I live and how it kind of fits into that, the broader picture. Um, you know, I've spent nights in huts made of cow dung in the desert. And I've also spent nights in, uh, crazy mansions on the beach somewhere. So it's, uh, it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a humbling experience to just see all that and see the difference. But I think that's the biggest thing, I, I guess, just, you know, being, being in the world of humanity that um, that really makes an impression on my my perspective and makes me look at at what I have and what I'm doing and uh, it it makes me appreciate it and it also makes me aware that there are some things that are much more important than whether I had my coffee this morning um, in the world. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people who need a lot of help out there and there's a lot of people that have a lot and travels one way that you get to experience some ways that those gaps can be bridged, I think. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I look at a map and mm-hmm. a map is a giant question mark for me. Totally. You know, and then <laughs> when you go to a place and you're you're in the map, you're in the landscape, then the answers start to flow. And I just love that, that discovery, you know, and the the people you meet along the way, the landscapes, the climate, all of it, the foods, you know, I I just, I don't know, can't get enough of it. And it's, I don't do enough of it. So there you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a very enriching experience. Um, Yeah. People are, people are making things work all over the world in very different ways. And it's, it's pretty impressive. Hmm. Well, you have certainly created a lifestyle that's allowed you to do a lot more of that than what some people are able to do, and I think that's really cool. I often mention on the show, you know, adventure-focused lifestyles, they're out there, and Mm -hmm. they're different probably than the majority of Americans live, but there are ways to do it. Do you have any recommendations if someone says, you know what, I'm not ready for the 9 to 5 yet, I want to have a lifestyle that offers me these sorts of experiences, you have any recommendations for them? You know, the, the thing that helped me most, I think was seeking out like-minded individuals and especially people who had had success with that. Um, early on when I was starting out, I, I got an internship, um, working for a Seattle based photographer, um, who's pretty well known. His name's Art Wolf. And that was, you know, that was game changing in terms of what, uh, both what I felt was possible and also just in terms of opening up the world of people who are very interested in doing that and who have figured out ways to do that. The people that I think can, uh, you know, lead your own little quest in the right direction. Um, and, you know, obviously you gotta, you gotta have some self-awareness of what, uh, what you're interested in doing because if you want an adventure based life, but, uh, you really, don't want to be a photographer than becoming a, an adventure travel photographer is going to lead you down a, you know, not, not that satisfying of a path. So you do have to do some sort of personal searching for, um, just where you think you fit and what you, what you want to offer up to the world in that realm of, of adventure lifestyle. Hmm. 
It's fun that you mentioned Art Wolf. And I had not thought mm-hmm. of that name in 20 years, but I saw some of his work, yeah. I believe, in Backpacker <laughs> Magazine. It was back when mm-hmm. I was in college. And as a result of that, I said, I'm going back to Colorado. So jumped in the car with a buddy, went to Colorado with a camera just so I could try to do what Art was doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even get close, but it was fun. He inspired the trip. And ultimately, a year later, I lived here. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That, that, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't take, uh, I don't think it takes a huge thing and it to lead to those kind of life changes. Um, I think a lot of people are looking for, for something that, that is a big indicator, but you know, you never know. It can just be seeing a photo and being like, Oh yeah, I want to go there and try that. And then next thing you know, you've uprooted and changed your whole existence. And why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yep, absolutely. What we often forget yeah. is we could always go back again. That is true. Yep, it's <laughs> you still know, be there. <laughs> you have an experience, you say, okay, I had an experience, I want more, or, or you might say, okay, that was good, I'm going home. But that's exactly, fine, yep. you did it's, it. So. I, yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and that happens on the PCT all the time. You know, I, I met a lot of people in the beginning of the hike, and some of those went all the way to Canada, and some of them got to different points on the trail, and they said, you know, I think I've had enough. I'm actually, uh, I'm not really interested in walking anymore and I'm going to go climbing now or whatever. Um, so yeah, you just sort of, you got to pay attention to yourself and go have those experiences and see what it means to you. Mm, Absolutely. Well, where can people get your book? I know it's coming out in March, but they can pre-order right now. So you can, yep. Yep. You can, uh, you can go to mountaineersbooks, um, dot org. And you can order it there. Um, and then, you know, the the huge friends over at Amazon also have it. So you can pre-order it there. I think IndieBound it can be pre-ordered at. And then after March 1st, it should be in pretty much all the bookstores around the country. And we have a, uh, a, a promo code for you. There's a 20% off discount code. It is CaliHike, C-A-L-I-H-I-K-E. You can use it on mountaineersbooks.org for a 20% discount off of my book. Right on. That's awesome. So 20% off, that's CaliHike, like California. CaliHike, C-A-L-I-H-I-K-E. Right on. That's so cool. So Hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, Northern California by Philip Kramer. I want to say a special thank you to Mountaineers Books. Absolutely. Uh, you yeah. know, they're making a lot of this possible. and They uh, absolutely are. We recently, if, if the listeners have been paying attention, they'd say, well, wait a minute. You've had a few authors on for Mountaineers Books now, and they, we have. And I really appreciate Mountaineers Books for sharing the the wonderful authors with us because you guys have such neat experiences and uh, it's all about getting out there and doing what you love to do and then helping other people to do it. And Mountaineers Books, is a, they're a nonprofit, right? They are indeed, yep. yep. They are all about helping people to go out and have these experiences. So I just want to say thanks to them. And by the way, we bumped into them at Outdoor Retailer last weekend. Oh, good. And yeah. got to shake hands and smile, and it was a lot of fun. So anyway, thanks, Excellent. Mountaineers Books, for what you're doing. And thanks, Philip Kramer, so much for putting this book together. You have opened up a, a, a bit of the wilderness for us to go explore now. That's my hope. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's something I love and I want to share it with people. And I, I also have to thank Mountaineers Books because they, uh, they gave someone with virtually no writing resume the uh, go ahead to try and write a book. Yeah, yeah, but brave. I'm sure you did a great job anyway. <laughs> I hope so. I just tell people, you know, if the writing isn't your favorite, at least the photos are pretty. The pictures are going to be great. We know this for sure. Well, the most important thing is that you made it now possible for people to better section hike this 750, is that you said, miles of trail? Yeah, just over 740. But, you know, if you get the whole series, you've got over 2,650 miles to explore and that's, uh, I think that probably qualifies as a lifetime of adventure right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it would be fun to get this book and then do the different sections and just check them off on in the book as you go, you know, and yeah, say, okay, absolutely. I did that, I did that, I did that. Maybe journal a little bit about what you experienced and see how it impacts you over time. And I, I could see this as being a beautiful way to get outside, so... 
Yeah, that'd be a very wonderful way to use the book. That would make me very happy. Anyone who does that, you should send me pictures of your journal notes, if you don't mind. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, again, the website is philipkramer.com. The book is Hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, Northern California. Philip, thank you so much for your time today, man, and thanks for all the hard work of getting this book together. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time with me, Kurt. Oh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, I always say it, until the next show, make sure you do get out there. Have some fun. Thanks for joining us for this episode with Philip Kramer and the PCT. Until the next show, get out and have some fun. Why don't you do yourself and us a favor and become a member of our Facebook group. In there, you can hear about some awesome adventures, learn how to do new ones, and share what you've been up to. And while you're on the web, do us a favor and go over to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast and consider becoming a patron to help the show. You can also find a link to Patron at the top of our website at adventuresportspodcast.com. As always, thanks for listening, guys.